Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hello there and welcome back in to another edition of Believe in Titans podcast. And when I say welcome back, I do mean welcome back. The band is back together after a week's vacation, looking fresh as a daisy. Former Titans cornerback Denard Walker is with us. Denard, how are you? I'm doing great, David. How you doing? I am doing well. John Glennon, alltitanssi.com. John, how are you today? I am well. And yourself? And I am good. I am David Beauclair, also of All Titans. At SI.com. Check our work out there at uh, SI.com slash NFL slash Titans. But uh, we've got uh, we've got a lot to talk about here in, a, in an interesting sort of way. As I was thinking about this, you know, we're a week into training camp here and uh, and Traylon Burks looks like an NFL player. Jeffrey Simmons is playing showed up without uh, without a contract extension anything like that no significant injuries to speak of a, a in in some ways a really uneventful just straightforward first week of training camp for the Titans and and Denard I want to start with you it, it is that significant from the perspective like if if you get a couple significant injuries or serious injuries right out of the gate or things go go wrong can, do guys can guys sort of develop the mindset that Oh God, what's this year going to be like for us? I mean, can can the first week of training camp sort of frame a, a team's emotionals or emotions for going forward into the season? <laughs> yeah, I don't mean going. What if you lose Ryan Tannehill tomorrow? What happens? You think that changes the course of the season? Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's tough. You know, of course, those just you know you don't want to lose your star players, especially not in training camp. And every coach's worst nightmare is for an injury to occur. And we know that it's inevitable that injuries are a part of the game, but that's why you see a lot of teams, they don't hit, you know, there's some physical contact. It depends on the coach, but I know the four years that I was in Nashville and the other two, when I was in Denver, Colorado, 
We didn't hit. We one thing Mike did, he he protected the players. We got after each other, but one of the things we didn't do was try to hurt one another. So once again, that can change or alter your season if you lose a player like Derrick Henry. What happens is a guy accidentally uh cuts his legs out? What happens if uh Derrick injures his shoulder? What happens if Ron uh blows out his knee? Of course, it it it'll turn the tide of the season. So once again. Yes, that would be huge. So we don't want to see anybody, especially for the Titans, knowing that what this team can do in 2022, you don't want to lose them early in training camp. And, and speaking of Ryan Tannehill, it, it, you know, last year, the first day of camp, one of his first passes, he threw an interception. Uh, interceptions were a problem throughout training camp. They, they continue to be a problem throughout the season. They were certainly a problem in the playoff game. John Glenn, I know you've been, uh, you've been asking some folks about this. A week into training camp, Ryan Tannehill hasn't thrown an interception. So, you know, along those lines, number one, what, what are guys telling you about, uh, about what that means and, uh, and how significant do you think that is for him right now? I think it's uh, significant. You know, I, I don't think anybody's saying, okay, you know, that this is uh, absolutely the Ryan Tannehill of old of the previous two seasons when he had a combined 55 TDs and 13 picks. But um, let's, you know, I, I, I don't think you can um, just forget about the fact that a, a bad training camp led to a bad season last year for Ryan Tannehill. And one of the big priorities we've heard Mike Vrabel say it, Time and time again, when we turn the ball over, we're, we're not a good football team. I think it it hurts, you know, the, the Titans more so than, than maybe other teams in that regard. Uh, especially last year, they didn't have that high-powered offense that could, could uh, you know, come back from a lot of turnovers. So I think there's some significance to it because they've, they've drummed that into Ryan Tannehill's head that we can't have, we can't lose the ball. We can't be, um, you know, as, as errant as we were last year with the football. And uh, even though Ryan Tannehill has said, you know, training camp, you, you do want to take some chances at times, uh, especially when you, when you're developing chemistry with new receivers at the same time, I, I think it's impressive that he hasn't thrown any of the, any of the interceptions even while dealing with those new receivers. So, you know, I don't think it's insignificant at, at this point. I think it's a, um, you know, it's it's a it's a good sign. Denard, what what's a defensive back's approach in in these practices? Are you trying to pick off everything you can, or are you trying to give the receivers or quarterbacks a little break every now and then? And say, well, I know I could have gotten that, but uh, but I'll let them have this one, you know, because I know I'm in the right position. Or, or I mean, like like how competitive are things in those situations, particularly at this point when, when guys are, are trying to earn roster spots? Well, as training camp, it's always competitive. And that's at every position. It, it's not just a defensive back. It's linebackers, it's defensive line, because everybody's job is on the line. I mean, what you do in training camp uh, can determine your fate in the National Football League. And, John and David, I, I just want to kind of piggyback a little bit on the Ryan Tannehill situation. I know everybody's been critical of him, and I've been a fan of him because of last year's record. Now, he went 12-5 and five as a starter, I believe, last year, right? And they he locked did. up the number one, number one seed in the AFC. And the fact that this team, they used 91 players – but, you know, John, I want to ask you a question. Do you think a lot of those turnovers had to do with the fact that there was uh, they were inconsistent 
uh, especially at the running back position in the beginning when Garrett got hurt. They was trying to find somebody. Uh, we Luckily, Deontay Foreman got going. They brought in Adrian Peterson. But do you ever think for a second that a quarterback is only as good as his supporting cast? Sure. And oh, I, the, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. And let's not forget, too, I mean, and I've said this multiple times, too, that there are other contributing factors, too, you know, the wide receiver situation, yeah. uh, you know, they were in and out. Julio Jones was in and out. A.J. Brown was in and out. Even guys that you, you expected more things from early and you never got from them, like a, like a Josh Reynolds or, or a Marcus Johnson. You know, you had them in training camp and they never really panned out. So he was constantly dealing with new faces. And the offensive line was poor in terms of protection yeah. last year, too. So there, there, there were a lot of contributing factors. Yeah, you, we, we certainly can't drop it all on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders. But at the same time, you know, a, a drastic, drastic difference between how well, you know, how, how good we saw that touchdown interception ratio of the first two seasons, how poor it was last year. You know, I, I think certainly he has to take some responsibility there. And then some of those passes, you know, and, and I think certainly, you know, a couple in that Cincinnati game stand out. Um that you that you really look at Tannehill and say you you, you have to be better um, in that regard. So you know th- there's blame to go around. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. Quarter, that, you know, quarterbacks coach Pat O'Hara has been really fond of saying because he was asked about this numerous times last year, and, and he's been really fond of saying that every interception has a story. Yes, uh, and uh, and you know some of them are on the quarterback, some of them are on the receiver, some of them are on the offensive line. But uh, you know it, it, it's tough to make the argument that that it was it was Derrick Henry's injury that was the issue because of the fourteen interceptions he threw last year, seven were in games that uh, that Derrick Henry played, and and seven were in games that that Derrick Henry didn't play, and that's not counting the three in the playoff game that he then threw with with Derrick Henry in the lineup. And, and in fact, uh, you know, by the end of the season, Tannehill had pretty much gotten that thing under control. He had he had one interception in the last five games of the regular season. You know, they they sort of they sort of had that you know, whatever they had to figure out there. They they apparently did at at a point, and and things went haywire in the in the playoff game then. But uh, uh, you know, he was he was under pressure all season long too. He you know got sacked six times in the opener against. Uh, Arizona got sacked seven times in in week four against the Jets so you know it 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 was kind of it I think it was just sort of it was just sort of his year I guess in in a bad way to to have to to see you know have to see defenders coming back his way with the ball in hand and uh you know I I have to agree with John It, it it feels like it feels like this is a a really good start to training camp for him because he doesn't look like he's doing anything differently. You know, I have speculated that he'd be, he'd be throwing a lot to the tight ends, a lot to the slot guys, getting the ball out of his hand quickly. And that's not been the case. He's, he's chunking it downfield. He's uh, you know, it looks like the Titans are, are maybe planning to, to go up top even a little bit more this year than, than they have. So it, it's, I, you know, I, I, I think, and, and he, he certainly, he, he looks, his body language is still as good as ever, those sorts of things. So I, I think, uh, you know, whatever he had to do and, and, you know, to put last year behind him, it, it seems like that's, that's exactly what he's done. And, 
you know, while, while we're talking about interceptions, I, I want to get into this. It came up with, uh, with Amani Hooker one day last week when, when he met the media about the, the fact that, that he and Kevin Byard are, are considered one of, if not the best safety tandem in the NFL right now. And, and, and Hooker talked about, yeah, but there's still a lot of things that we're learning about each other and we're trying to get better. And there's, there's things we can do. And, and Denard, you, you've sort of touched on this once or twice. So I, I, I want to ask you, when you look back, this team went 13 and three, two years in a row, went to the Super Bowl once, had the best record in the regular season another time with, Blaine Bishop and Marcus Robertson back there. Blaine was an all-pro, a pro bowler. Marcus probably should have been to the Pro Bowl a couple times. Um, didn't get there. 2008, this team, 13-3, and three, best record in the NFL with two pro bowlers and Chris Hope and, and Michael Griffin back there. Last year, 12-5, and five, best record in the AFC with, with Byard and, and Hooker together for the first time for most of last season. Is it a coincidence that a team with two really good safeties playing well individually and together put up good records like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll tell you what we were talking about. We're one of our po- couple of podcasts ago, and we were, arg- well, we've been arguing, we had a like debate who do you sign? Would you sign Amani Hooker? Or would you let Nate Davis go? You know, it's kind of like that's what a general manager job, general manager job is to do. The reason you want you want to be consistent at your safety's position because that's the last line of defense. So you can make a mistake up front, you can make a mistake in the middle, but if you make a mistake in the back half, well, it's called being posterized half of the time, or it shows up in the stadium. A guy can make a long run, but you won't blame it on the defensive line. You'll sometimes blame it on a linebacker or a safety missed to tackle. But when you have these two players, you're talking about two of the most consistent players in the National Football League. I don't even read pro football focus. The only time that I take I will look at it is when I want to see how Kevin Byard and Imani Hooker stack up against the rest of the league. You think about it. Take the top five safeties in the league. Nashville is blessed, and they have the opportunity to say that we have the number one rank, Kevin Byard, and the number three rank safety, Imani Hooker, both graded out over 85%. You think, I mean, this is amazing. Now, when you look at Blaine Bishop and Marcus Robertson, you're talking about 19 years in an Oilers in a Titans uniform between those two. You're talking about four Pro Bowls. That's how Mr. Bishop went to four Pro Bowls. You're talking about an all-pro Marcus Robertson in 1993. That was experience. That was the model of consistency because the reason a lot of people wanted to blame the Super Bowl on this and that, the reason we lost is we didn't have our safeties. We did not have our safeties in the back half and the loss of well, Los Angeles Rams. I'm going to call them St. Louis at the time. They were able to capitalize off that. When you have safeties, they can put young corners like a Caleb Farley. You can take a Christian Fulton. You can take a Roger McCurry. You have these young corners, what, first and second years respectively, first, second, and third. You need someone to get them lined up. You need someone to put them in position to make plays. That's the job of your safety. So once again, I'm excited at what they're going to bring to the table in 22 because if they play like they played last year in 2021 and in 2020, watch out. This defense could be the number one ranked defensive 
uh, unit in the league this year. If that all, if that defensive line continue to build off what they did last year, and you have consistency at the safeties position. Yeah, Marcus Robertson broke his leg in that uh, AFC Championship game at Jacksonville, wasn't able to play in, in Super Bowl 34 at all. Blaine Bishop got knocked out, had to be taken to the hospital. It's funny, if you talk to Blaine about it to this day, he's still angry about the fact that uh, that he couldn't finish that game. And so, John, I'll ask you, uh, you know, how how good is this duo of Bayard and, and Hooker right now? Is is are they as good as as Blaine Bishop and Marcus Robertson were back in the day? I think I think they are, and I think they have the potential to be even even better. Honestly, um, you know, I, I, I one thing I like about them as a duo too is that they're both uh, very versatile. Uh, you know, clearly Kevin Byard is is you know a little bit better in terms of the free safety, traditional free safety, roaming the field and so forth, whereas Amani is more of the more of the box guy. But at the same time. Both have enough skills that you can switch them around. You can you can move one high, move one low from time to time, and you can help confuse defenses that way. So I think that's another uh, plus uh, for those guys, you know. And, and I guess as as we sort of touched on, really, what the the one of the big questions regarding them is how long will they be together? You know, uh, because certainly last year they were they were great. We expect great things from them this year. But this is a contract year for Imani Hooker, and uh, you, you just don't know what the future holds. You, you, you'd love to uh, see the Titans grab him and, and lock him up. And you would think, you know, uh, this kind of goes off on a little bit of a tangent, but nonetheless, you know, the, the fact that the, the Titans traded A.J. Brown, one of the things the Titans gained, even though they lose a Pro Bowl receiver, is lots of cap room that, that would have gone to A.J. Brown over the next several years. So maybe that lack of money that they're putting out for an A.J. Brown over the next few years, maybe that's the kind of money where you can say, okay, all of a sudden we've got a little bit more cap room. Maybe a Monty Hooker is, uh, you know, is a little easier to uh, to haul back in here uh, than he might have been if A.J. Brown was uh, was bringing in $100 million over four years. Yeah, you make a great point about the interchangeability of these two. The, the safety position has evolved over the the years where, you know, a lot of teams look for that back in the day, there was, there was no question, right? I mean, Blaine Bishop was down at the line of scrimmage, you know, Marcus Robertson was going to be the guy back in, and it's funny, you know, cause you used to in the, if you covered the NFL every, uh, every Wednesday, you would do a conference call with the, the, uh, the coach of the, the team, your, your team is going to play this week and one of the players. And so a lot of times that player would be a quarterback and, and th- those first few years in Tennessee, not, you know, 97 through 2000 say, if it, if there was a quarterback that was on the conference call and, and you asked him, you know, you know, what, it, what about Tennessee's defense concerns you or, or what's the, you know, the first thing almost out of every one of those guys mouths for years was, well, you first thing you got to do is f- find out where Blaine Bishop is and then figure out what he's going to do. If he's, uh, if he's coming after you or if he's going to be dropping into coverage or whatnot. I mean, he was, uh, he, he was a, uh, he was a real problem for opposing offenses. And uh, you know, Denard, you played with those guys. I'm, I'm going to give you the last word. How, how much, how much fun was it to play with those guys? How good were they together? David, they were not good. They were not good at all. They were great. <laughs> I'm telling you something. They say you don't miss something until it's gone. 
And when I left Nashville in 2001, uh, believe me, I got paid. It was nice to get paid and be recognized uh, for your work. But I'll tell you something. I lost something along the way. I lost two big brothers. And it wasn't just like on the field. I mean, everybody talks about how productive they were on the field, but you don't realize how much they were leaders off the field. Marcus was a leader. Marcus could get in your face. Blaine could get in your face. And this is things off the field and tell you this is what you don't do. They were the model of consistency. They showed you how to be a pro. I emulated those two. The way what they did, I would copy. They were the best. And, and that's what you need in today. You need a leader. And that's what I see. I see a lot of Kevin Byard. I see the work that he does in Nashville. I mean, it, it goes beyond the field. And that's what you want in your organization. That breeds success. And that's what I like about a money hooker and Kevin Byard is they resemble Blaine Bishop and Marcus Robinson. Okay, so we, we've talked about interceptions. We've talked about Ryan Tannehill a little bit and, and the value of his experience, obviously, in moving past last year. Another quarterback on the roster who, who's still generating a lot of interest, in, in, and that is, of course, the rookie Malik Willis. There, there were some, and I think you, it's fair to say much more so from a national media perspective than a local media perspective, who thought there was a possibility that that Malik Willis could threaten Ryan Tannehill for the starting job right away this year. Anyone who has seen training camp knows that's not the case. It's not the case based on how the coaches have used him in practice. It's not the case based on how he's performed. That that's not to say that, you know, he's having a disastrous camp or anything like that. Um, John, I mean, let's go with you. you. You've been out there every day. What are you seeing from Malik Willis? What uh, what should people be thinking about him and, and his potential role for this season right now? Yeah, I think it's been kind of predictable, honestly, for, for Malik Willis. And, and I think predictable ups and downs in that regard. You know, you see flashes of that uh, that really strong arm. And, and in addition, it's not just a rifle arm, uh, but I think he's got a really nice touch on deep balls, you know, especially when he's throwing down the sideline. That's one thing you really notice about Malik Willis is the touch that he has uh, in those types of passes. But um, that said, you know, this is a guy who played at Liberty last year, uh, you know, who played in a, in a very different type of system than, than what he's seeing right now in the NFL. And it's going to take some adjustment. And, you know, he's, he's run into some bumps here, I think, in the last few days, especially when you look at, at maybe Saturday's practice. There was a string of, of reps he had about three in a row where there were a couple passes that went into the dirt. And, and I think he ended up ha- holding on to another pass, uh, you know, too long. Uh, and then Monday, you know, he threw an interception. But, you know, part of the reason for that was the re- receiver fell. But I think the ball came out late as well. Uh, and, and, you know, I thought in talking to Malik today, I thought he had a pretty good explanation. Uh, you know, he says his mind is processing uh, quicker than, than his feet are moving. So that information is really flowing, 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 but his feet aren't necessarily going with, with what's happening uh, in, in his mind. And, and as a result, timing is off. And, and when timing is off, I think he's become hesitant. The good thing about being hesitant, if you're, if you're a, maybe a, a coach, is 
He's not, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, throwing the ball willy-nilly left and right and, and tossing a ton of interceptions. You know, maybe he's erring on the side of caution. The the bad side is, you know, I, I think it's been pretty clear from us just from watching on the sideline, there are there have been times when receivers have come open. He needs to make that throw right away when the window is right there, and he's held on to it a little bit of time. But I, I think this is okay in the grand scheme of things. If, if Malik Willis was a first-round pick, if Malik Willis was expected to start as quarterback this year, it would be of much greater concern. But as things stand right now, you know, this is basically going to be a registered year, I think, for, for Malik Willis, you know, barring any unforeseen injury. So I think, you know, the, the level of progress he is making uh, is okay. You know, and he doesn't seem to be getting overly frustrated. He seems to me uh, like a guy who is, is learning uh, you know, a guy who, who uh, again, uh, you know, isn't throwing up his hands and saying, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to run every time I go go back uh, for a pass. So, you know, I, I think he's in a, in a kind of a predictable spot, to be honest. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting. Like, I, I was wondering if we were going to see him maybe stealing an occasional rep with the first team offense in, in camp, you know, like if they were going to, you know, give him one or two reps at the end of a period or whatever, just to, just to see what he could do with certain, certain guys that hasn't happened at all. And and I think it's, I think people need to understand in terms of, of what he's dealing with from a learning curve. When, when you ask coaches about Malik Willis right now, almost without fail, one of the first things that comes up is, they're really excited about the fact that he's not having problems receiving the play call and repeating it in the huddle, right? You know, like it, it, the, like just even that part of the operation is completely different than than what he did in college, and and uh, and it's true. Like you you don't see him ever stepping out, looking back at Todd Downing, saying, "Wait a minute, what was that again?" Or, "Hey, can we talk about this for a second? I mean, he gets the play call, he gets in the huddle, he you know he keeps the operation moving, and and you know, that's great, but that's, that's a long way from being a starting quarterback in the NFL. And, uh, and for people who, you know, who want to see this for, for those Ryan Tannehill haters out there who, who, who want the Ryan Tannehill era to be over, you know, everybody's just going to have to be patient. It is, it is not Malik Willis's time. I mean, he's not even really stealing second team reps from Logan Woodside right now. It's uh, I, I mean, it, it is, it, it is a clear cut pecking order and uh, you know, Denard Walker, you were, you were a third round draft pick. You've talked about it. You weren't ready to go at the start of the start of your rookie year. <laughs> and, and you weren't you weren't running an entire offense, right? What do you mean ready? I was getting beat up every day <laughs> so trying to survive. I didn't even I didn't even unpack my bag because I thought I was going to get released. I was getting beat every play, and it's hard to play fast when you barely know the playbook. They only give you about forty percent of the playbook during the mini camps, and then all of a sudden you get the training camp. They start adding more. My rookie year, it took me a training camp. And it took me about three weeks into the season to get ready. I was on the practice squad at the beginning. It takes time. And it was interesting. You was talking about, you know, how his mind can process the information, but it's like you're, you're, you're combating. It's like you're going against yourself. And what happens, Andre Ware, I, I love to listen to him commentate the college football games. And he's a former quarterback, the former Hosmer Trophy went out of the University of Houston, a great analyst. 
And he was talking, it was a game Louisville was playing. And Andre Ware was talking about the quarterback position, that the only way that a quarterback can be successful unless he masters the playbook. When you master that playbook, you can go out there and play fast. So it's going to take some time. It's even rookies. That's what happens in training camp. We look good when we first get there because they don't, they just let us go play. They give you about 20 to 30% of the information. And then training camp, it's like a coach. He throws it at you. So again, for Malik to be successful, his best friend needs to be Pat O'Hara. That's who he's going to be spending a lot of time with is the quarterback coach. So David and John, for a rookie, this is not unusual. You should expect this. No one comes out. Even, let me tell you something. How many interceptions did Peyton Manning throw his rookie year at for the Colts? See, now both of you I got believe. a smile on your face. Look at you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know he's the great, one of the greats of all time, but it's not like when he, that first year in Indy, it's not like he lit it up. It's going to take some time. So once he masters or get this, playbook kind of familiarize and get the concepts and everything then you're going to see a little bit of that what you saw at liberty but it's going to take some time that's the part of the national football league it just takes time to get acclimated to the system yeah it's interesting we're we're, hold on we're recording this tuesday night there was a practice this morning and uh and pat o'hara always you know during during periods offense periods whatever he is behind the offense and he's standing there with the quarterbacks talking there was the one segment of a period early on in practice where Malik Willis was running the offense and and Pat O'Hara was on the sidelines about 10-15 yards down it's the first time I can remember seeing him in in that sort of position and and I I was I, at one point he you know he was moving down the field with the offense and walked right by me and I so wanted to say what are you doing over here you know but but the <laughs> yeah. man was clearly working at that point and that would have been would have been out of bounds for me but I but I thought that was I mean that's the first time I can remember seeing him do that so you know clearly he wanted to see something in particular with uh, with Malik on that and we you know we said it a few weeks ago on here they are coaching the hell out of that kid. There's, there's no doubt that they, uh, that they like him and they're, uh, you know, they're eager to get him to that point. It's just, it, I think we all agree. It's just going to take some time. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I did notice that same thing you did about uh, Pat O'Hare. I could not uh, remember any time that I've seen him anywhere except, you know, 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. But um, also one, one thing we have to remember about Malik and, and one thing, that we're going to see more of, you know, when, when he plays in the, in the scrimmages and in the preseason games too, is let's not forget obviously that, that he does have incredible running uh, ability too. You don't really see that as much during practices, you know, because as soon as the quarterback starts to move, kind of the, the play ends and the, and the, you know, uh, the, the whistle is blown, the ball is dead basically. Uh, but, you know, I think he's going to do some dazzling, uh, in those in those practices against the Bucks and the Cardinals, and in those preseason games too, that is a legitimate part of the offense uh, that that he's going to bring to the table. So I'm looking forward to see that too. No, obviously, you know, you can't only do that at the at the NFL level, but you know, uh, as opposed to most any other quarterback, that's going to be a a, a big um, a big part of his calling card. One other thing that's been different about this training camp so far is Derrick Henry's done a little bit. He he's done some work in team drills. He's uh he he's been involved in in more than just uh more than just the individual. I I I thought I'll think back to last year and it seemed like the first 
two weeks of camp. He would do individual drills and then go off and, and work in the sand pit or, or do some sprints or, or go inside and, and lift weights or do whatever. You know, he, he has, he's certainly not a full go from start to finish in practice, but it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's a distinct and noticeable change that he's getting a little more work now. Certainly, you figure he's fresher having had fewer carries having done all the rehab last you know the the second half of last year and and into the off season um you know Mike Rabel declined to discuss sort of the reasons behind that change uh he he said when asked every year is different and end of quote I guess we should say John Glennon asked that question and was rebuked with uh, with extreme prejudice but uh, I, I guess my question for you Denard is this way when when a guy like that who's an important player comes back from an injury is is there a certain inspiring effect maybe that uh, that you know hey guys see Derek's Derek's doing his thing he's going to be all right that's that's nothing we're going to have to worry about this year now I think it's smart because I don't expect Derek Henry to play this preseason why would you play him I mean this is your most valuable player the same thing the Chargers did all those years with LaDainian and Thomason they knew he was going to get about 300 carries David uh in a season. So why do we need to work him in the preseason? We know what he's going to get. You know what he's going to do. This man is one of the best in the business. You don't need to uh, have him going out there, carrying the ball 30 or 40 times in practice. He doesn't need the work. What you want to do is you want to make sure that you have a healthy Derrick Henry coming into the season. He's coming off of an injury. I've seen a lot of coach Mike Shanahan used to do this with veteran players like Eddie McCaffrey and Ross Smith, and you wonder why they played until the late 30s. They would only practice maybe one time a day. And then the second part of the practice, what they would do, they go swimming. They'll go uh, do some rehab. But you didn't see those guys twice uh, in a day. He did that with Terrell Davis when TD was coming off of an injury. He would go out there, he'll take some morning reps. Didn't take a lot because you you already had about two or three other running backs uh, in camp. So there was no need for a guy coming off of an ACL surgery who's been uh, one of the best backs uh, in the National Football League. You don't need him carrying the bulk, you know, a load of carries. So once again, I think this is smart. And not, not to mention you have, let's see, Derek is what, 28 years old? So he's kind of entering that stage where most running backs seem to decline at 29, 30 age, unless their name is Eric Dickerson, who got better after his 30s. So once again, when you have an aging back, we talked about Eddie George. When he got to about 28, 29, you started to see the wear and tear take place. So I think this is smart by Mike Vrabel saying, listen, we don't need to work him during training camp. Let's just give him some reps, make sure he's in game type of shape, and then just let him go. Obviously, you know, we've been talking about it you know, uh, all off season by when he got back to camp, how jacked and shredded you and David was done. Y'all was talking. I was like, okay, let me look at it. Y'all say he was down here in Dallas. I wanted to know where he was at so I could go get my body like that. You know, and I looked at him and I went and saw a picture and I'm like, he's gotten bigger. He looks better. He looks more shredded. So that once again, you know, he's putting in the work. We don't need him out there. We know what he's capable of doing when he's healthy. John, do you have an opinion based on what you've seen as to, you know, how how likely he is to be the 2019-2020 Derrick Henry again? Hard to say. You know, he certainly looks the part. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but to, to me, I guess, 
you know, the, the one question that maybe I think still has to be answered is that the, uh, the, the numbers for, for Derrick Henry previous to his injury last year, uh, you know, the, the volume was, was certainly even greater in terms of carries per game for Derrick Henry. But some of the other numbers, you know, were, were, were noticeable drops, you know, about a yard uh, um, per aver- yard per carry average down uh, from his previous year. You know, the yards over expectation, which which Derrick Henry has always been right amongst the leaders, uh, you know, significant drops there. So, uh, you know, you, you want to think if you're a Titans fan, hey, that was just a fluke that Derrick Henry gets better second half of a season. And he didn't have that opportunity last year. But, you know, he, he still has to answer that that question, I think, a little bit. Um, but, I, you know, I, I do think it was a little different seeing him. Uh, do work in the non-padded practices so far in this training camp. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think the coaching staff had to make sure that they at least want to, you're right in that nobody wants to see Derrick Henry get hit either in padded practices or in, or in, in preseason games. But you do, you know, the only glimpse you got of Derrick Henry after that foot injury was that playoff game. And it was probably not 100% Derrick Henry. So I think it was important for, for the team, for the coaching staff to at least get him out there in some of the non-padded practices to hand him the ball plenty of times and at least say, okay, as far as we can tell, this does at least look like the Derrick Henry, even if we're not getting hit right now. Yeah, I mean, there there is certainly no noticeable limp there. His stride doesn't look any different. He doesn't, you know, there. Uh, at least to 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 my eye, maybe a, a medical professional could could see some sort of difference there. But uh, and and it. You know the the times that he's out there in the individual and and, and some of the other work, it, it he's not he's not opting out of a rep. You know, it's not like he takes two or three and says, "Oh, here you guys get the the next one." I mean, he stays at the front of the line. He's uh, he he seems enthusiastic and and you know doesn't look like a guy I'll say who's fighting through any sort of pain or or discomfort right now. So uh, uh, it's. Uh, all signs in in that regard, I I think are positive and and probably a little more positive than I think I would have expected at this point. So, and and Denard's right. Mike Rabel's already on the record saying, you know, we're don't don't look for Derrick Henry in the preseason. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna know about Derrick Henry until we get to uh, week one in the New York Giants on September 11th. So, uh, but I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we will talk about him some more between now and then as we will continue to talk about all things Titans as we go through training camp and, and move into the preseason. But, uh, but that is going to do it for this episode. As always, we, uh, we thank you all for listening and, and ask you to tell your friends, but uh, until next week, Denard Walker, good to have you back. And, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. I'll talk to you guys next week. All right, John Glennon. Until next week. Thank you. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, everybody. This is Believe in Titans Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.